the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, back again after a two-week delay. My sincere apologies for that one. Um, we had a Witcher 3 Blood and Wine interview in the can that I was supposed to run, but I don't know, I guess I forgot to export the audio, so as a result, I lost the interview and I lost the episode, which really sucked. But I am back this week and we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We have lots of RPG news, which is very exciting, and we also are going to cover the Mario RPG 20th anniversary. Yes, Mario RPG is now 20 years old, and it was a very interesting time in RPG history, um, right before the Square Enix and Mario split. So we'll kind of go into that. I have a cat uh, rubbing against my microphone right now, uh, which is awesome. But I also, aside from my cat, uh, have two guests. Uh, first of all, co-host Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello, hello. And, of course, Bob Mackie, who oh, is hoy, returning hoy. back to the show yes. after a bit of an absence. And if people yes. buy the vinyl version of Axe of the Blood God, they can feel the warmth of the cat in the room. <laughs> <laughs> now on sale. Oh, man. Wouldn't that be the most... Uh, that would be the ultimate hipsterism to buy a, pod- a vinyl version of a podcast. Vinyl, yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Hey, no one steal that idea. There's got to be some rich hipsters that would do that. I honestly think that this is a thing you could totally kickstart. I don't think we would have any problem with that. <laughs> Ret- uh, one retro not to be like three albums, though. <laughs> it, would be like, it would be like the White Album or something coming to you. You know, I'd be honest, I'd probably buy that in any case. So the first bit of RPG news, uh, which there's been a little bit, I mean, nothing super major, but some interesting tidbits nevertheless. Uh, the first bit is Yokai Watch 2 is in fact coming to the US, yes. which seems to suggest that Yokai Watch uh, has got managed to get the foothold that uh, that Nintendo wanted it to get. Um Bob, I know that you played it and actually ended up enjoying it. What are your thoughts? I uh, only played the first one, which I reviewed last October. I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I thought it was a more um, a more accessible version of Pokemon, I guess, in that uh, you didn't really have to work as hard for things, and it kind of, I don't know, gave you a much faster start. There were a lot of problems. It was much harder to actually capture monsters because it wasn't it wasn't a matter of just throwing a ball. You had to like bribe them in battle and didn't always work. But I thought that it set the roots for like a very interesting series, and it was a shame that we got that game like uh, three years late, three years after yeah. it published, because I, I think they're up to Yokai Watch 3 now in Japan. Um so yeah, we are out. we are significantly behind in terms of the sequels, but uh, I really want to see if Yokai Watch Two uh, improves on what happened in the first game. It was a little too repetitive. I, I never actually finished it. I played a ton of it though, but um, I'm looking forward to what Level Five did with the sequel for sure. Nadia, did you get a chance to play Yokai Watch? Yes, I did. Um, I enjoyed it very much, but I think Nintendo made a mistake. Kind of Nintendo of America made a mistake, kind of marketing it as like a Pokemon replacement because it it's really its own thing. And uh, one thing I mentioned in an article I wrote a while back about, you know, because I thought Yokai Watch 2 wasn't coming here at all, uh, the this concept of Yokai themselves might seem a little boring to American kids because, you know, in Japan, of course, they have the whole legend of Yokai, but uh, in America, it's like, oh, there's an old lady 
who talks a lot, big, and that's her power, you know, big <laughs> deal. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you, Nadia. Um, and the way they tried to explain it was kind of half-assed, uh, although it was the easiest way to explain it. It's just like, yokai are fun creatures. They're just yokai, everybody. There's nothing, there's nothing foreign parents, about this. They make this. your parents divorce. Yes, exactly. <laughs> really depressing. And I'm wondering uh, what, I mean, I feel the the one bad part of Yokai, well, I mean, there's a few bad parts. Like the quest system is pretty bad and the map doesn't give you enough information. So it's like you're going from identical house to identical house wondering, where was that quest giver again? But yeah, um, exactly. one of the things I dislike the most being a surly middle-aged man as I am is the character is just so goody-goody. It feels like a cultural values like improvement game where it's like, make sure to do your homework and make sure to, don't don't slack off of your job kids it's really important i'm like what if i what if i'm not feeling good what if my job sucks but it's like no no you must be it's like the lawful good uh morality game and it was a little grating by the end and i know it's made for kids but i like a little antisocial behavior in my video games yeah i guess it also has that very particular japanese uh, I, I would characterize it as japanese saturday morning cartoon look yeah very where much so. if you watch anime um, you have the anime that's clearly intended for like teenagers, the anime that's clearly intended for adults, and then you have the anime that's intended for like, you know, kids, like little kids. And all three have a really distinct look. And Yokai Watch has that kind of rounded, almost like everything, like all the words uh, and all the art is like really big and really simple. Um, and it's appealing in its own way, but I I don't particularly like it. So while uh, while it's an attractive game, uh, a fairly attractive game, and looks really distinct, um, the art was a bit of a turnoff for me. Oh, I, I really like the, uh, not the character design, but the uh, actual yokai design, because I feel like at times Pokemon is constrained with like, we need this Pokemon to... In, in it's designed to evoke what class it is, what type it is. But with yokai, yeah. their their classes and their types are just very broad. So like a fighting type could be anything. Like I feel like they they could pull from a lot of different ideas. Like one of the yokai, which is great, is a um, the head of a drunk uh, salary man uh, stuck onto a poodle. It's like a strange yeah. invasion of the body snatchers esque <laughs> body horror creation. But I always he had that freaky. guy in my party because I'm like, this is so effing weird. I need the I need this guy to be on my party at all times. So I, I like how just weird and far reaching they can go with these ideas. They, can, they they're really out there and they can be really out there. I, I mean, I know Pokemon has like the haunted washing machine Pokemon, but um, <laughs> that seems like an outlier to me. So what you're saying is because yokai are spirits rather than actual living creatures, uh, so to speak, um, they can go a lot crazier with the design. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, Pokemon are not really rooted in reality, but I feel like when you're designing a Pokemon based on its appearance, you, the, the player should be able to tell what kind it is, at least. Pokemon itself has evolved a lot over the years since the very beginning in terms of art style. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is... If I recall correctly, um, its original artist, which I believe was Ken Sugimori, is not as involved with it anymore. Um, no, he stopped with uh, Gen 3. So he did the first two generations of designs, and now he's kind of like an overseer of uh, the yeah. process, the very complicated process. You could see the difference in just, for example, how the legends look now. Uh, the legends almost look like look like Legos. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Like Our look Digimon. at the legends from uh, black and white, um, and they went back to more of a mythical look for X and Y. But I really like it, those designs. 
it's definitely evolved quite a bit or like is it black two and white two when when the two legends combine into one and like they have like this engine a jet engine for a tail or something it's kind of weird but in any case uh so yeah yokai watch two uh it it's nice to have options i suppose um and it and it it's just it, it you're, you were right earlier, Bob, when you said that it shouldn't be compared to Pokemon because it's really a very different kind of game. Um, I would say that Yokai Watch is very much geared toward, well, I mean, frankly, uh, young kids who are not looking for a huge challenge, um, are not wanting to get too deep into it, but enjoy catching these creatures, um, exploring this world uh, that's really well rendered. And not only that, but Yokai Watch feels a little less constrained by the RPG conventions of Pokemon. Like Pokemon yeah. is still very Dragon Quest. Um, oh, yeah. It's very classical RPG, and Yokai Watch is a little broader than that. I do think the one disappointing thing again is that we got such a late start, and it happened with uh, Inazuma Eleven. I believe the first or one of the earlier games came out in America maybe two years yeah. ago, and we never saw another yeah. one. And I, and I have a feeling that series gets really better, and it actually got me interested in a soccer RPG, which was weird enough for me to try. But that first the first game or whatever game we got had a few problems, and I was wondering, like, did, did these get better? Did these games get better? I'll, I'll never know, because we got such a late start. And, you can get them, yeah. yeah. I was I'm going to go fast. on a limb and say yes. I would love to play Inazuma yeah, 11 so on I. the 3DS. Oh, yeah, I think it, I reviewed the first fun. one. Oh, you did, yeah. I reviewed it for US Gamer, and I was just fascinated because it was the first time I ever saw my maiden name in a video game, <laughs> Eisner. I was like, wow! And I haven't <laughs> been this thrilled since I first saw Nadia in Chrono Trigger. As a huge soccer fan, like, in general, um, I've always kind of meant to get around to actually playing Inazuma 11, but it kind of came out at random, and then it did. disappeared. It was like a Nintendo Direct, and they are like, yeah, this is out, later. And uh, I, I it's think like, oh, it's, it's an eShop game that I think you can get on 3DS, yeah, right? Yeah, it's eShop only, yes. but I, I believe it's like 20 bucks. If if you care about like weird RPGs with interesting concepts you might not have seen before, it's kind of repetitive, but I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I don't care about soccer or sports in general, Like, but they did an interesting RPG thing with it, so yeah, it's worthwhile. My comfort food, my comfort food game of choice right now is Pocket Card Jockey. Mm. Yeah, oh my yeah. god. I need to actually that get the full game. version. <laughs> Thanks for that, Nadia. I appreciate it. Anytime. It's uh if I'm sure that you've probably people have heard of Pocket Card Jockey, but if you haven't, um it's actually by Game Freak. Yes. And uh, you can tell that there are some people on their staff who are just huge horse huh. racing or fans. Or gambling addicts. Oh god. Yeah, or gambling yeah. addicts, so they went out and created a game that mixes solitaire with horse racing. And I think my favorite thing about that game is that this character is just catastrophic. Like, your hero is just catastrophically bad at horse racing. And he's stupid. <laughs> yes, really his, his stupid. His eyes are very empty if you ever look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my character's a she, but I'm like, she's like, yep, I'm going to go win the, the in-game equivalent of the Kentucky Derby. And they're like, uh, you can't even win a race. Nope, going to go win it. Gonna do but it. then, like... She dies, goes to heaven, uh, learns how to horse race uh, via playing solitaire. And then she'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm doing really well at solitaire right now. I, I think I can win this race. And people are like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, uh, nothing. <laughs> um, moving on. 
fascinating game and weirdly faithful to horse racing. It is. That's what surprised me about it. It's not like a very, uh, like, I don't want to say it's not easy because in a way it's easy to, to grok. Although there are a lot of rules that you have to go through, but um, you, whoever, like just looking at it, you can tell, like you said, whoever on staff worked on it at Game Freak are huge horse racing fans. Not exactly an RPG, but the horses do level uh-huh. up. They do. And they have skills, um, particular skills. They have limit breaks. And That's a lie. They actually get older. Um, and as they get older, you can, once they hit, Age four, I think it is. Um, you can either keep racing them or you can put them out to stud and breed more horses. Yes. That's uh, good stuff. And I love the art style in that game. The art so much adorable. Fun. Oh, my God. I can't get oh over God, the horses. So good. Especially the special horses that you unlock. Like the, <laughs> you race them for the specialized uh, managers. Like I have way too many games to play right now, so I haven't been able to play Pocket Card Jockey lately, but um, but it's always kind of like sitting over to the side yeah. waiting for me to go pick it up again. Same here. Anyway, moving on to the next piece of news. Uh, this one's kind of a curiosity. Um, Oblivion for the PSP, footage from that game actually leaked out. Mm-hmm. And here's the crazy thing. It looked really good. It did. For a PSP game, a beta, uh, it was quite impressive. Uh, of course, it, I understand why it eventually died, because it, it came down to no time, no money, the usual. And PSP, I think by that point, probably wasn't doing as great as people expected. But, um, no, I was impressed with what was there. And uh, I kind of respect the fact that they worked within the limits of the system by making, like, a hub world. Yeah, like, they... Uh, um, they made like a hub world, and like you would go out from there to uh, explore uh, dungeons, do quests and whatnot. So it wasn't a big open world, even though a big open world can be done on PSP. I think uh, the PSP Grand Theft Auto game had one. I never played it, but uh, it's a game. It, obviously, it's a project that takes a lot of time and a lot of money. They didn't have that, so they worked within their limits. And for what was there, it was quite impressive. I think the original Oblivion came out in maybe 2006, like early 2006. It was like an Xbox 360 sort of launch title, wasn't it? Or something close to it. So yes. Yeah, it was kind of the first, I suppose you would say, killer app on the Xbox 360. Yes. Um, where people who didn't have a PC that was good enough to run Oblivion at that time, which I was definitely in that crowd. Same. Uh, could pick it up and like and enjoy it. And it was buggy as all get out, but it but looked look really impressive. It, it looked really impressive. And it really, truly signaled like the it, it, completed the, it completed the process that had begun the previous generation yes. with KOTOR and Oblivion, uh, or sorry, Morrowind, and those kinds of games, um, and said, yes, uh, RPGs, PCR, what were once PC RPGs are now on equal footing on yes. console. And in some instances, consoles are even the lead platform. And so Oblivion was a big deal. And of course, in 2006, the PSP was still a fairly big deal. I think it, it hadn't really picked up the reputation that it did later. And I'm sorry to PSP fans um, who love that system. I actually have a lot of fond memories from the PSP as well. Same here. But in 2006, it was definitely a very relevant handheld still. And there was still this notion that you could put these major, major console experiences on it. Because uh, I remember when the PSP was originally released in, was it early 2005, I think it was? Yeah. 
it was envisioned as a a platform where you could essentially get full-blown console, like full-blown PS2 experiences on the road. Yeah, it was a very ambitious little system. Yes, definitely. And of course, as we all know, it didn't really live up to that potential because, I mean, the system itself was kind of limited compared to the PSP or the PS2 and it didn't sell as well as the Nintendo DS ultimately and game sales weren't as high as uh, a lot of developers were hoping. So you yeah. you had third-party developers kind of pulling away from the PSP. And it ended up kind of, funnily enough, becoming a really hardcore Japanese RPG system. It, 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 became, a syst- it became a home for a lot of curiosities. But so, uh, so Oblivion on the PSP was a came at a very specific time in both video game history and and handheld history. Yep. Um, that was one of the last big years for the PSP in general. It it really 2007 was kind of like it for the PSP even though there were some really high profile games after that. It just that's when it, all the buzz all sort of fell apart. I think 2007 was when Crisis Core came out maybe. Yeah. That was yeah, a good I'm game. Too. Sure. I really enjoyed that one. And you'll never play yeah, it again. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I never got around to playing uh, Crisis Core, though I do own it. It's, it's um, good. It's the yeah, best uh, it, of the uh, whatever the hell that was the, called. The extended universe stuff that they did. Yeah. Uh, compilation of Final Fantasy That's VII. what it was called, yeah, yeah. It was absolutely the best of that. Um, and it just told a good little story. Uh, it, ha- it still had a stupid mechanic because we're talking about Square Enix here. You had the slot machine thing that was totally randomized as far as I know. But uh, the, the story was good. It was just a really interesting angle on the Final Fantasy VII story. And I like Zach. I think he's kind of cool. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you can actually play it on the Vita, right? I don't think so. No. In fact, it's not even available in the online store. And it has never been. So Really? It's, it's one of the strangest omissions. It was when Square was being really weird. That and um, a few other games like uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Uh, that's not available to download. It's only UMD. Those are huh. two big ones that you would think would yeah. end up coming out. I mean, I would totally put Crisis Core on my on my Vita. It's a real shame that it never came out, and I actually ended up selling my my Vita quite a while ago. Your PSP so, or Vita or my PSP? Okay. Sorry. Well, I you sold know, my PSP uh, quite a long time ago. So Square put a PSP game on uh, the PS4 before. What's stopping them from doing it again? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> That's what I think. It's like, this could be remade. I don't know, like, I don't know how Square Enix feels about Crisis Core, but I'm not sure that enough people have, I suppose, nostalgia for Crisis Core to be yeah. able to to really want to see a remake. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you think. Um, if you would, like, kill for a Crisis Core HD, I'm sure there would be plenty would. of people who are excited about it, but... Uh, I think it would be barely a blip on the kind of the mainstream consciousness. Uh, certainly not to the, and this is an understatement, but certainly not to the degree of, say, the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is getting all of Square Enix's resources right now, along with fifteen. Yeah, and it's too bad because Final Fantasy VII uh, Crisis Core, like I said, it tells a really interesting, it, it, it offers a new angle on the story, which is, you know, we all know it so well, even though we don't fully understand all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of like seeing uh, Cloud as regular soldier schmuck and not like a soldier super fighter faker. As for Oblivion PSP, I I'm really impressed by like how much 
the engineers managed to wring out of that system's like kind of graphical ca- capabilities. Yeah, it's it, uh, quite impressive. It kind of suggests to me that because developers were probably operating on shoestring budgets later on, that the PSP's graphical capabilities kind of went underutilized in later years. What, what do you think of that, Bob? I, I'm I'm just outraged that the footage is no longer online. I'm trying to find it, but uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think it took a while for. In the beginning, it was like there was no way we're going to be able, we'll be able to make a Metal Gear for this thing, uh, so we're just going to make a card game or whatever. But I think at a certain point, they realized that, uh, the system was capable of a lot more. But I, I think they were just uh, really worried about battery life, which is why the games were uh, a lot of the time just unambitious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but some some of the some really good games, some really good looking games. Are on the PSP. Um, you mentioned Metal Gear. That's a great example. Um, Crisis Core looked really good on it. It did, yeah. Uh, Super Robot Wars Z2, which was kind of the, I would ca- characterize it as the first real Super Robot Wars because the first couple games to come out on it were ports. Um, that looked phenomenal on the PSP. The, uh, the Dissidia games looked fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Dissidia games looked really good too. Especially um, too. Yes, Duodecim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that game, that game even had an overworld and everything. So, yeah, the PSP um, definitely capable of outputting better graphics than I think maybe a lot of people remember. Oh, and I had Persona Three Fez as well, mm. or Persona Three Portable. So, R.I.P. PSP. You are definitely missed, um, especially um, in light of the slow, painful death that the Vita is currently undergoing. <laughs> I still use mine for PS1 games. Yeah, me too. I've, I, I don't mean the slag on the Vita, and I'm sure that I'm going to anger somebody saying this, but I haven't turned on my Vita in like a year. Oh, no. No, no. I turned it on six months ago to oh, play um, the Tales, not Tales, Trails, Trails of Cold Squid Steel. Yeah. Played it, played Trails of Cold Steel, and then there was also the, the Digimon game that came out. Other than that, my 3DS has been getting a lot more play than my Vita, so... In any case, uh, last piece of RPG news, uh, maybe not hugely relevant. Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, which mm-hmm. is a new mobile game, that new free-to-play mobile game in Final Fantasy, which isn't as big a deal as it used to be, but I believe this one was actually designed specifically for mobile. Yes. And it looks pretty good. Yeah, um, I'll be honest with you. I'm a sucker for any Final Fantasy game that brings together all the heroes. That's why I like Dissidia. I like um, what's the uh, what's the one that caused all that controversy lately? Uh, the um, I'm totally brain farting here, but anyway, uh, Record Keeper. Thank you. Oh uh, uh, yes, Record Keeper. Record Keeper is good. Uh, controversy aside, controversy. there are people who like it for sure. Yeah, uh, and uh, this one, honestly, the sprites look fantastic. Hmm. Um, you're just looking at like. Uh, I think they had like a Final Fantasy VI style behemoth enemy and it's just like all HD and stuff and not like that ugly HD that we kind of got stuck with for the iOS remake of Final Fantasy VI. So I, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Shudder. You can't hooray bring that for up. actual Hooray for actual, um, well, Efforts. you know, production values yeah. and really good art style. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it looks really pretty. And uh, like I said, you have like Cecil, you have Kefka, you have uh, all... All my old friends, as it were. I want to know. I want to know what the catch is, though. If it's free to play, like, how are they monetizing this thing? 
I am not 100% sure, because uh, I do have a friend who plays the Japanese version, and she says it's it's pretty okay. Um, and even Record Keeper, uh, barring the whole Final Fantasy Tactics fiasco that happened in the West, they're generally pretty fair about uh, their draws and stuff, but uh, it, it still is free-to-play, so you still have to put up with that kind of thing. Um, you know, the draws and the, the stamina, etc., etc. But... I don't know if you, when you say stamina, as in the as in uh, you can uh, insert play a coin to amount. continue. Yeah, you play a certain amount, and you got to wait for uh, your quote unquote stamina to refill uh, or pay. Any game with up. a stamina stamina mechanic um, like that is instantly discounted by me. Same here, because I think it's one of the stupidest mechanics I have ever seen, and yet it works, and people are willing to plug in the money. They do, and uh, but I'm not sure if Xvius has that. To be honest with you. Um, I know Record okay. Keeper does, in a way. At least it's not Final Fantasy All the Bravest. You ever played that one? No, I didn't, but I've heard is of it. Is that where you just slide around a bunch of sprites and you're, you unlock it parts is. of your childhood or something? Yeah, you, you pay like a dollar to uh, f- to get a random draw for Ooh. a random character. And actually, um, Screw Attack did a hilarious parody of this, uh, like a parody ad video of it. It's like, you want Cloud? Fuck it, you get Shantoto. <laughs> Who? From Final Fantasy XI. One dollar, gone. That's like when I played uh, Theatrhythm, I was saving the worst characters to unlock for last. Like, uh, I don't care about you, uh, second version of Lightning. Go to hell. Hey. <laughs> Poor Lightning. Lightning's okay. Oh. And I like selling Gucci bags kind of way. There work. you go. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's about as good as a mannequin in terms of her purpose. I... I have no response to that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lightning fans. Topic. She'll be back. Oh. You'll never see her go. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> the next time Square Enix needs some money and they go and do another Final Fantasy mashup, we will definitely see well, Lightning we've had, return. We've had Lightning Returns. Now we need Lightning Forever and then Lightning and Robin. <laughs> complete oh, the, complete the, uh, the quintology? I don't know. I don't know at this point. This joke has no ending. I'm sorry. Let's move on. (laughs) Just like the Final Fantasy series. All right. This is as good a time as any to jump into the main topic of the podcast and kind of the primary reason that I had you come on the show, Bob, though... Thank you for lending your your insight into the previous topics. Uh, Mario RPG, which you wrote about, um, it's been 20 years since it originally came out. And as Mr. Retronauts, Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could kind of set the stage. Where were we in terms of RPG, console RPGs, in early Uh, 1996? Well, it's important to note that uh, we were a an autumn away from seeing Final Fantasy VII. That wasn't quite happening yet, but we had uh, received uh, Chrono Trigger uh, the previous fall and Final Fantasy VI the year before that. So it was a very great time for Super Nintendo RPGs. And unfortunately, they were for a really niche audience, even then, at that time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I believe, and I was positing this in my article on the site, you can read it. I wrote a retrospective on Mario RPG for its 20th birthday. I believe that... Um, Nintendo, uh, they were always trying to get Americans into RPGs as uh, their Japanese audience was into RPGs. And this was like their fourth or fifth try 
and they're like, okay, uh, screw it. Let's just put Mario in an RPG and we can sell it to people that way. And let's get the people who make the best RPGs to make this for us. So it felt like a last ditch effort to be like, okay, just just make this for us. This has to be it. People like Mario. They like the games you make apparently. So this has to work. And little did they know, like Mario Mario RPG was sitting in development right next to Final Fantasy VII, which would do that for America. So I find wow. it kind of ironic or... I don't know. Uh, it's a strange coincidence that Nintendo's effort to get RPG fans, uh, an RPG fan base in America, was basically being developed alongside Final Fantasy VII, which which did. That is kind of strange. Yeah. Um, when they were developing together, like before or after, is that when the whole thing between Nintendo and Square fell apart? Or I'm not sure what the timeline is in that regard. The timeline is a little fuzzy, but I, I at least was able to determine uh, something. And I'm not sure if any for everyone else got this wrong. I had it wrong for years. I assumed. Um, uh, former president Hiroshi Yamauchi he was a, he was a brash guy. He said what oh, yeah. he thought uh, often <laughs> without uh, any kind of like uh, checks on uh, what he was going to say. But he was complaining about uh, oh the Nintendo sixty four doesn't need RPGs. RPGs are for sad people who stay in their basements and don't go outside. I remember that. Uh, that, that, was that, that. <laughs> that quote actually happened in nineteen ninety nine. Uh, what happened before that during the development of Mario RPG is that the uh, the president of Square at the time was uh, kind of being a little hubristic because of uh, his, mm. his company was, you know, extremely popular in Japan. They were working on a really great game. They were like, come on, guys, leave Nintendo, come to Sony. The, this, this medium is way better. This format's way better. And um, oh, wow. at the time, uh, the president of Nintendo was like, okay, fine. If you, if, if you want to do that, then do that. But only later did he like kind of be like, oh, who needs RPGs? They're just for idiots. So, yeah. um, <laughs> But the tension was Square was convincing people like Enix and other companies to join Sony to publish for Sony. And that wow. is why there was a little, bit of, um, a little bit of drama between Nintendo and Square, which wouldn't be resolved until maybe uh, seven years later when uh, I believe Final Fantasy Tactics Advance released on the Game Boy Advance. I, I think that was the first Nintendo platform Square release since Mario RPG. Or, yeah, since Mario RPG and the two RPGs that followed in Japan, um, Treasure, Hunter, Treasure Hunter G and Treasure of the Rudras. Or Rudras. Also, yeah. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which yeah, came out in that. early 2003 yeah. on the GameCube. So 2003 was when they mended ways, and I believe, I was reading old news stories, they're all online. The president of Square was like, yeah, we shouldn't have been so brash, uh, we should have worked with Nintendo, we're sorry. But I think it's for the best that Square did not make Nintendo 64 RPGs. Uh, they yeah, did. Same. They did really well on the PlayStation. They thrived there. It was one of their best, most fruitful eras, with all kinds of experiments. But um, yeah, uh, how, how do you guys feel about Mario RPG? Did you play it? Were you a fan of it at the time, or anything like that? Oh, Here's I, a funny thing about Mario RPG is that, uh, yeah, they developed it. I guess with kind of an American audience in mind, thinking, well, RPGs sell well in Japan, but not overseas. So let's put Mario into one. And I suppose when I played it, and I played it when it came out. I didn't even really think of it in terms of being an RPG. I just thought of it as a game with Mario in it mm. that was a little different. Um, like, because, you know, you're still running around on the map, but, and it it's not like, say, Final Fantasy VI, which yeah. came around out around the same time, or a couple years before that, actually. But I, at the time, I thought of Final Fantasy VI as like, the big scary <laughs> RPG that has all of the stats and like it's turn based and oh my god it has like a four hour ending or something I remember reading that and like Nintendo Power it was like a three hour ending I'm like oh my god this wow. game's way too epic for me it was long but not that long um <laughs> and so uh, but Mario RPG you know they do a really good job of kind of hiding away all of those kind of 
intimidating elements, I suppose. And it's still at its core kind of a kind of an action game because you'll select a you'll select an attack, you know, like you'll jump in and then you do the little timing attack, you know, to do extra damage, right? Right. So you're thinking about it in those terms rather than in menu in terms of using menus. So in in that regard, I, I, I didn't really think of Mario RPG as an RPG, despite it saying that on the box. Hmm. Um, I did end up finishing it, and my recollection of my feeling of it at the time was that it was a really fun and different take on Mario. Um, one of my favorite things that I remember from it uh, was the involvement of Peach. Oh, yeah. That was yes. a pretty uh, It's a pretty progressive and revolutionary move that uh, Nintendo is still kind of reluctant to do, putting Peach in the role of the hero and making her yeah. actually competent at it, too. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. Um, I remember you... She, I don't know if you... Re- I don't remember if you rescue her or whatever, but she she's sneaks, back she at the castle, out. and I was like, oh, oh we're all going to go on our adventure now. Um, see ya, Peach. <laughs> and Peach ends up floating down with her parasol, <laughs> yeah, and being like, "Hi." <laughs> well, the game the game has a lot of really fun and weird ideas. Like Bowser joins your party. It it the game establishes. Uh, it's one of the first games to have like a sort of commentary on the repetitiveness of the Mario franchise, where it's like you're you're rescuing the princess again, and they're kind of commenting on like this happens a lot, doesn't it? And the game yes. sets up Bowser as the enemy, but as you fight him in that first prologue area, a greater enemy, a very square soft final enemy shows up and Bowser gets kicked out of his own castle and he becomes a total loser just like wandering around with his army looking for trouble and you eventually run into him and recruit him. But it's so cool that like Bowser gets to fight with you. I thought it was like just a very interesting choice that um, I think was made because no one was really paying attention to this game. It was just like, it, it felt like there were just so many weird ideas that um, I, it was kind of subversive in a way. I actually, uh, you mentioned Bowser. That's one of the things that kind of annoys me about Mario RPG in retrospect, even though I do love the game for what it is. Uh, it really kind of has that, as you called it earlier, square hubris going on. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but Gino, who who is really cool. I love Gino. But yeah, everybody likes like, Gino. But he was like, when uh, the little kid is playing with the Gino doll, he's like, oh man, Gino's the strongest character. He's stronger than Mario and, and Luigi and everyone. And like... Uh, as you said, Bowser kind of gets turned from like a, a pretty intimidating enemy into like a total joker. Even though, as you say, it is cool that you get to fight with him. And then like there's so many locations that have nothing to do with the Mushroom Kingdom, and I understand why they had to make up new areas, obviously. But when you look at a game like um, Thousand Year Door, you have all these areas that still have a very Mario scent to them. Whereas like I don't know something about characters like Malo just don't scream Mario to me and Bellum what 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 is Bellum exactly yeah that's true and the thing <laughs> is like that that used to kind of irk me a little bit like I wish there were other playable Mario people instead of um Malo and Gino but mm-hmm. looking at Kingdom Hearts I'm like oh it could have been a lot worse couldn't have been it really yeah. could have been a lot worse so, I hear that I hear that Square Enix had to be reined in a bit in fact yeah it's like who are all these anime people a few a few was fine but now it's like mostly these anime people and I just want to like hang out with Donald Duck and stuff <laughs> 
It's yeah. almost all anime people yeah. at this point. And that's just the impression I get from Mario RPG, whether Square Enix intended for it to be like that or not. The, the idea that, oh, you know, Mario stories are kind of lame. Now we're going to tell a real story with real characters. Yeah, but it's essentially just like one of those, uh, it's all about friendship and the power of love and blah, blah, blah. It's not a very interesting story, but I, I think this might be the RPG I finished the most the most times because it's a very, uh, very cozy, very friendly, very uh, varied experience. And um, people are like, try this RPG. It's really short. and It'll be like 20 hours. And that's still a pretty long adventure. (laughs) It is. I think Mario RPG is somewhere between 12 to 15 hours. And it's like, dear Lord, if if the Mario and Luigi RPG series, which came later, if it actually was that long, it would be a lot more enjoyable. Because um, after uh, after Superstar Saga, those games got really padded out. Paper Jam is very padded out towards the end. It's like they were trying to meet some threshold. But Mario RPG is like, no, it could be a 15-hour RPG. And we're cool, which is what I like. Yeah. I mean, that is still so rare to have that short of an RPG. But I actually uh, bought uh, Mario RPG Day 1 because I was a huge fan of Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. Oh, me too. Though, obviously. Yeah, and even though Mario RPG obviously wasn't as like meaty as those games, I still really enjoyed it. Um, I told the story on the comment section of your uh, story, Bob, but uh, when it came out, um, that was around the same time my school got connected to the internet, so 95, <laughs> 96, and I ran a, a, a BBS, or I ran like a gaming community in my high school's BBS because we actually had one, and someone who was also an RPG fan was so angry about this game because it was so goofy, <laughs> and he was really, really mad about the cake boss, like in Mary Moore. Cake boss. Well, yeah. We all know that Mario is serious business. Oh, Mario is totally serious business. But back then, it's like RPGs were serious <coughs> business because we just came off of Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI. I uh, just watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. And exactly. It was, everything it was that needs to be time. mature for my teenage tastes. It was very much that time in the pop culture stratosphere. Uh, everything had to be serious. Anime is serious business. You know, it's so mature and adult and go to hell cake boss. <laughs> comics were in that kind of mold as well. Exactly. Um, it, it was squarely in the dark age of comics. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah everything had gotten very grim dark in the 90s for sure. Yeah, I had an online friend who called himself Youngblood, so <laughs> put it that way. I, I still awesome. feel like, uh, Nadia, uh, there is still some snobbery about this game, in a way. I still feel that resonating as it was like, um, I mean, I think it's a fairly easy game. I wouldn't call it Kitty, uh, per se, but there's just so much to like about it. It's just a very whimsical thing. Of course, the graphics take a little bit of getting used to now that you no longer yeah. have a SDTV to smooth out all of that artifacting on those pre-rendered graphics, but... I feel like that um, this is Yoko Shimomura's first soundtrack that was truly hers. I mean, she had done lots of yes. work before this, but this is where she first developed her very distinct sound. And you can hear it in the Kingdom Hearts series. You can hear it in the Mario Luigi series. You can hear it everywhere. Like, it's it's that bouncy, jingly, very heartwarming, very catchy kind of melodic music that she makes. And it, and it really started here. And I love this soundtrack still to this day. I think yeah, it's one I of really her best. Think, I really think the soundtrack is, is overlooked in when we talk about great 16-bit soundtracks. And w- thinking back, I can't decide whether or not I like uh, From Too Far Away Times better than uh, the ending theme for Mario RPG, but the theme for oh. Mario RPG, is, is, the ending is just gorgeous. Yeah, I was listening to that on repeat while I was writing my feature and just getting really excited, like, yeah, I love Mario RPG. Yeah, yeah, that ending, I think, it, uh, I forget what it's called, Happy De- Happy Parade, Delightful Parade or something like that. Look it up yeah, on YouTube a, and uh, yeah. just get ready to have fun. The parade, there's the parade, but also there's the melody beforehand when Gino leaves and like you're kind of oh, seeing what yeah. all the characters That's are right. doing beforehand. 
it, they're both fantastic and it's just nobody really goes back to those soundtracks and says oh oh yeah i, I love this and you know and thinking about it now i should do a note block beatbox about that <laughs> yeah the one song I, I think is referenced the most is the uh the forest uh dungeon song which is really good but yeah. there is so much good music as as a as a young nerd and i did this with final fantasy 3 and final fantasy 2 and chrono trigger i was recording things off of my tv from this game as well making like mario rpg mixtapes so uh oh, those were the days yes <laughs> how how sad <laughs> <laughs> Makes me so happy that we were all so freaking nerdy I know. back then. It's no, it's no and wonder why we're still all here. so nerdy. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally own up to it. Uh, although uh, my, it's interesting. My parents, uh, who are both musically inclined, uh, they and they neither of them were into games, but both of them liked certain aspects of certain uh, uh, game soundtracks. So the game music to me, it is legit. What else did Yoko Shimomura do? Uh, she's mostly known for uh, Mario RPG and the Kingdom Hearts series in general, but she's she's done a lot of uh, great soundtracks. I'm looking her up right now because I, I it's slipping my mind as to what, but I have like a lot of her stuff. Um, I know she did Paper Jam, which had a great soundtrack. Oh yeah, Paper Jam. Basically, any any Mario and Luigi RPG game. Uh, she did Parasite Eve, Legend of Mana, um, Front Mission. Uh, let's see what else. Radiant Historia. Uh, the Third Birthday, Last Ranker, just a ton of really great music. She's been making music for almost 30 years now. Um, wow. And she wow. essentially wrote most of Street Fighter II's soundtrack. But again, that wasn't <laughs> really her, the style she would eventually find. Yeah. Getting back to what you guys were talking about with Mario RPG um, and Square Enix's influence, um, I, I do think that's an interesting observation that Square Enix's fingerprints aren't as much on mario rpg as in their later collaborative collaborative efforts yeah i think some of that is to do with the fact that nomura hadn't really kind of (laughs) risen up and become that company's (laughs) identity yet yeah that's true and also like um I mean, you just look at a characters like Gino and Mallow, which are original characters to Mario RPG and, to my knowledge, never appear again. And they don't look like you characters that you would typically see in a Square Enix RPG, or at least what you would expect to see in a Square Enix RPG, you know? No, I think yeah, they were they... trying to meet a Nintendo style halfway. Sorry, Nadia. Yeah, no, I was about to say the same thing. It's, it's very much a compromise, especially in terms of, of uh, Mallow, like... I can see like puppets coming to life in the Mario universe, but like cloud people, I don't know. It's a little more, eh. Same with the Smithy Gang. Um, definitely, kind of, kind of trying to meet Nintendo halfway yes. stylistically. Yes. And I yeah. think um, we see this a lot with Nintendo, where they come in and they do a collaboration with a particular developer who has a really strong point of view, and Nintendo which is extremely protective of their properties, and we were talking about this on From Us to You uh, yesterday, uh, they come in and say, okay, well, we're going to exercise a lot of editorial control uh, on this one. And I think in this case, it was to Square Enix's better, uh, benefit, especially given what kind of Kingdom Hearts eventually became. Granted, yeah. Kingdom Hearts is totally different. But could you imagine if uh, Square Enix had stayed on with Mario uh, RPG like into the early two thousands? Everybody would have been be weird. Black cloaks. Yeah. How many belts would Mario be wearing at that point? <laughs> the Koopa Troopas All would the have um, the Koopa Troopas would have one black wing. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, uh, one winged Troopa. Yeah, 
the one thing I, I did want to talk about of the many things I've talked about is um, this came at a very strange time for Nintendo where it was like, we're, we're not quite ready to launch a new system. So let's just be very disingenuous about what the Super Nintendo can do. And that's basically how they sold Donkey Kong Country. It's like, we made these graphics with SGI workstations and then we made them into animated GIFs to fit on your Super Nintendo. That was like sort of the... Um, <laughs> the uh, bait and switch or sort of the act of uh, the sleight of hand, you know, they, they said we made graphics with these big important computers, but then again, they, they just shrunk them down and made them into sprites to work within a Super Nintendo. But Mario six, uh, sorry, Mario RPG t- tried to sell that illusion even further by being an isometric game. It's like, we can't do a 3d game. We can't do a polygonal game. We can use pre-rendered graphics in an isometric perspective to make it look even more 3d. Um, which I mean, yeah. but that was a smart approach for the time. It for was, sure. but it does cut down on what you want to do in a Mario game, and that is jumping around. Like, yeah, like oh, for I, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember seventy-five percent of the screen wasn't like like twenty-five percent of the screen was just kind of a blue field. It looked kind of weird. Yeah, and it just like. I wanted there to be more jumping around. I wanted there to be more Mario-ish action, and they didn't really figure out a way to do that effectively. Thankfully, they they mostly keep that out of the game entirely. But I feel like Mario and Luigi and Paper Mario do a better job at actually making you do a little bit of platforming because they do have side-scrolling perspectives. Yeah, because the platforming isometric perspective was hell sometimes. Yes. I mean, if maybe if you're British, you're used to that, but we're spoiled Americans. <laughs> we and are. And we don't read things by where their shadows are, I guess. Yeah. Especially, especially when it came to the dungeon crawling. I remember, my recollection is that the dungeons had platforming or they had something similar to it, or at least they had some pretty in-depth puzzles. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I wrong to remember that? There was a little bit uh, of platforming. Um, sorry, yeah. no, yeah. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. Just I remember Bowser's Castle, sorry, Smithy's Castle at the end having quite a bit, but otherwise, they were usually pretty okay. I think they knew that their uh, the platforming was insane so they yeah. kind of really scaled back on it and when you did fail the, the the consequences weren't too dire so at the end what do you think mario rpg's legacy kind of is because um it almost feels like when people talk about mario rpg they talk it about it more in the context of the times mm-hmm. where it's like well this marked the end of nintendo and square enix's or square soft's extremely close relationship at the time it was a transition into a new era and mario rpg itself i think is still fairly well regarded but it's kind of been lost in the midst of history and uh, of course nintendo has definitely moved on and we as a result we got paper mario and the mario and luigi games um so ultimately what do you guys kind of think mario rpg's legacy is I was going to say one of the things we forget most is that it really kind of gave us timed hits, um, where just the idea that you don't have to sit back and be passive in a, an RPG battle. I mean, obviously we had a little bit of that in other RPGs, like uh, Final Fantasy VI has Sabin's uh, uh, Blitz Attacks, which you input keys commands to uh, perform Street Fighter moves and suplex trains. But um, Mario RPG really kind of gave you an active role in battles where you were kind of rewarded for paying attention and not just kind of breezing through every single battle. Uh, And in the same vein, I think it also gave us the... kind of opened up the floodgates on, hey, you can take genres and cross them over. And it can can work out. Yeah, I I think it it proved that this was a viable idea, an idea that could work. And the direct legacy is the Mario and Luigi series. I mean, it's developed by Alpha Dream, who I believe is made up mm-hmm. of uh, X-Square Enix people. 
And uh, the first game, at least, was uh, worked on directly by the co-directors of Super Mario RPG. So, like, they just carried over what they wanted to do for their sequel into the Mario & Luigi series. And I feel it's it has its ups and downs. I feel Super Saga is probably the best because it's the most concise and it, it does it does the best with what it has. But um, that's a that's a very respectable series, and um, it hasn't gone quite as far off the path as you know Paper Mario, which sometimes it's like I don't want to be an RPG. I want to be this other bad thing. And you're like, oh come on, Mario Paper Mario, you're a good RPG. You should just be an RPG. So yeah, yeah I mean. I still think it's, it holds up incredibly well. The graphics might take a little bit of getting used to, but they've got their own charm. And it's available on the Wii Virtual Console, not the Wii U Virtual Console, but the Wii Virtual really? Console for probably 800 points if they still use points. I don't know. I don't think it's on the Wii U one. And you want to play it on the Wii Virtual Console anyway over the Wii U version, even if it does come out there. Though you can't play it on the gamepad, can you? No, you totally can play it on the gamepad if it's the Wii. You can't play console. it on the gamepad. You can watch it on the gamepad while you play it on a controller. You can have the you can have the the actual oh. image on the gamepad. Yeah, it's stupid, but hey, that at least it, it works in some way. Yeah, at least it works. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I will add <clears throat> is that I think that Mario RPG kind of also represents the period where Mario became a little more self-aware. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at, see, 1996, um, that was the year Mario 64 came out. But before that, you know, we had the, what was it, M- Mario World 2 um, with the baby Yoshi's and uh, some other games. But we hadn't really gotten into um, that kind of self-awareness that started to permeate Mario in later years. So I, I think Mario RPG was kind of the beginning of that. Do you, yeah, you guys right. agree? Yeah, and it, yes, helped, definitely. it had a really amazing localization. Maybe not as great as Earthbound or something like that, but I think that's just because the writing in Earthbound was better to begin with. But they really wanted to examine like what Mario is as a, as a concept. And uh, it's funny that we kept we kept saying Peach. I think this was, this was the last game where she was still Toadstool. Yeah, you're right. It was the last one. Yeah. Yes, it was. She became Peach in Mario 64. She, she literally became Peach later that fall, like six months later. Or, yeah. yeah Mario 64 later. came out and she said, she's, she signs it. Uh, she actually, I think, refers to herself as Princess Toadstool, maybe. She goes, Princess Peach. Toadstool, Peach. Peach. Yeah. But I'm like, but I was like, Peach, that's a weird name. And from that point on, she was Peach. Yeah. She became Princess Peach, and I'm like, uh, but okay, sure. I'm still not comfortable with Eggman. I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't. Oh, no, it's He'll Dr. always Robotic be a forever. reference to Russian evil to me. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he was he was the, created long after... Wait, he was created around the time the Berlin Wall fell. Never mind. We were just playing uh, Sonic for the upcoming One Hit Wonders, so that's why the... Thanks for the random Robotnik reference. I think I actually referenced that in my own playthrough. <laughs> Dr. Robotnik. So before we go, I'm just going to quickly read some tweets from people. Um, I asked them, so what do you think? Um, and does Mario RPG hold out um, at Ubersaurus? The silliness, combat system, and overworld mechanics are still so great. I also love all the secrets in the game. Yeah, there's some good ones. You can fight a Final Fantasy IV type boss that plays the Final Fantasy IV boss music. That was pretty cool. Yeah, Culex? So it's kind of like when you go and fight... Q-Lex. It's kind of like when you go and fight Sephiroth in Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. At DLP87, sorry, at DLPZ87, just started on Wii VC. Graphics are gross, but it still has some charm. <laughs> Good battle system, too. Um, at Damn It Demand, it still has a lot of presentational charm, despite the prunky, chunky, pre-rendered sprite look. 
at Dustin Rogers. Although it laid the groundwork, Super Mario RPG is no thousand-year door. I will agree with that. Few things are a thousand-year door, though. Which, yeah, seems to be kind of the gold standard for the series. Yes, it was it was excellent. We'll talk about that some other time, I imagine. Yeah, I mean it's a different series, but uh, if you like that interpretation of, of of Mario, that's the best of that series. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Shane Bettenhausen, nasty rendered graphics still look nasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shane, <laughs> open up your heart. Open up your heart to chunky pixels, man. Yeah. And Robert Boyd, who is actually working on Cosmic Star Heroin uh, for the PlayStation Four. My seven-year-old was playing it the other day. Graphics are ugly, but it's a decent beginner RPG otherwise. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So if you have your thought, any additional thoughts on Super Mario RPG, reach out to me, cat.bailey at usgamer.net. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. And of course, Bob also wrote a retrospective on Super Mario RPG, which you can go find on the site. I would appreciate it if you found it and also read it. So, everybody, uh, that's the end of our episode. Uh, next week, I think we're going to be... Well, next week is the Dragon Quest 30th anniversary. Yes. Uh, Nadia's like, my day has come. <laughs> Finally. I've already I done a last. podcast on that, but I can do another. Uh, I think I, I personally have done at least one podcast on it, if not... Uh, Perhaps multiple podcasts. I don't know if we're going to do like a straight retrospective because, God, I, I feel like we've done this many times. <laughs> Did you say come on? And I went, <gasps> because I uh, haven't had my day in the sun when it comes to Dragon Quest. Oh, I'm sorry, Nadia. But uh, we may find a different angle on this, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest next week. Good. And, of course, I mean, we're going to have more time to talk about Dragon Quest this year because Dragon Quest Seven is coming out on the 3DS. Yes. Yay. Which is very exciting. And Dragon Quest Eight as well. Uh, two classic RPGs. But, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Bob, we can find you on Twitter at, at Bob Servo. That's correct. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, sure. Read my comedy writing at somethingawful.com and check out my other podcast, Retronauts, which you can find on usgamer.net. And I also do a podcast called Talking Simpsons. It's a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. You can find that at lasertimepodcast.com. Good show. Thank I you. I like Talking Simpsons. It's so much fun to make. It helps that you're in like the good part of The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> yes. I look forward to how you guys are like when it, you're in like season 16. Oh, God. Well, we'll be in the good part <laughs> good for at that. least like two and a half years. So uh, I'm looking forward to go. the next two and a half years of my life. After that, nope. I like how the uh, image for your latest episode is just Homer in the wreck of the uh, <laughs> Little Thunder. We always try to find so. the Yeah, we try to find the best, uh, most iconic images or just the most fun ones. <laughs> yeah. Looking so sad. Ow. And of course, Nadia Oxford, we can find you on Twitter at at Nadia Oxford. Yes, I'm very easy to find. And uh, if you like just jabbering about games, you can find my personal site at tinygirltinygames.com. And also on US Gamer, I do a fairly regular column called Noteblock Beatbox that explores game music. Man, that that column title is such a mouthful. I like it. I know, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. My husband helped me come up with it. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Um, and, of course, you can email me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Um, if you haven't noticed, we have a new podcast going. Um, From Us to You is back. We, Yay! And it's back for real this time. And We've now, got two episodes. And now you can see what my apartment looks like. Well, yeah, well right? just the ceiling. Mine, too. Just the ceiling. One corner of your apartment. You can see my messy, messy desk. You can um, see my Nintendo Deluxe set. 
Yeah, we're doing it kind of differently. We are putting it on our YouTube channel, um, which you can find on US Gamer Net. And we're also we're also putting the audio on the regular podcast feed. So no matter which kind of way you like to listen to a podcast, you can do it that way. So in any case, um, and, and we're going to keep experimenting with it a little bit. Um, I think my my kind of dream for from us to you is to maybe do a live stream. Um, if not always, then at least kind of periodically, it would be fun to do from us to you live with uh, you guys. So go yes. check that out. Go download it. You should Please. also review it. So more people yeah, you should see review it. it. You subscribe, subscribe to but it. But don't review it more you than you, re- you review Retronauts because I still need to be number one. <laughs> and speaking oh, of, of reviews, you should review and rate Acts of the Blood God over on iTunes and I Stitcher agree. and Spreaker. We really what, love what was the last reviews. One? I've never even heard of that. Spreaker is like iHeartRadio. Oh, man. I thought I was ahead yeah. of the game by getting podcasts on Google Play Music and Stitcher. Now there's Spreaker. Yeah, I need to put it on Google Play. Jeez. It's, it's not like, hard. There are too many. And Spotify. Oh, boy. We need to put our podcast on Spotify. <laughs> oh, man. Spotify. Uh, podcasts are coming back, Bob. People, We're back. Just get an all-purpose um, uh, podcast uh, app, and you're fine. You don't need all this fancy stuff. That's my that's my uh, two cents. We're cool again. In any case, uh, yeah, so Act of the Blood God, go and subscribe to us on all of those places and find us on usgamer.net. Until then, we'll see you next week. I promise that we're not going to lose any interviews, at least for a little bit. And uh, we got a bunch of topics still to come. And oh my God, E3 is coming up and please kill me. (laughs) In any case, for Bob, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. And until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.